So uh, these are different times, and I hope all of you are doing very well uh, in spite of everything that's going on. Uh, we are so glad that at least we can get together uh, online like this, and we hope that and trust that you are doing extremely well during these, these days. And we really long for the time when we can get back together and, and fellowship uh, actual person to person, and won't that be a fun time and a great time? So. Pray to that end, and we think that should happen soon. But we don't know. We're going to trust the Lord in all of this. So in case um, you're new, my name is Bill Barbie. I'm one of the pastors here at Old Oak Bible Church. And I'm taking the place of Pastor Steve this morning, who is off today on a well-deserved break. We try to give him half a dozen breaks during the year. And I know they're well-deserved and well-needed. And so uh, you're going to put up with me today. So this morning, we want to bring you the Word of God, we want to pray, we want to seek His face, and we want to lift up the name of Jesus. And so we hope that you have taken the bulletins and, and prepared your hearts with some of the great music that's in there, and we hope that you're going to be ready to, to listen to the Lord and, and to worship with me as we seek God in the Psalms. Before we start, I'd like to uh, offer a word of prayer, so would you bow your heads with me as we seek the Lord? Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be in your family. What a privilege it is to be adopted as sons and daughters. And that's because of the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who enabled us to be part of your family so that we could call you Father, that we could call upon your name, that we could praise you and worship you, and that we will be with you someday for all of eternity. And so, Lord, we, at this time, we just come before you and we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would be upon us, that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us each and every day through these difficult times. Lord, we ask that you would lead and guide us. You are the shepherd. Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd, and we are the sheep in your hand. So we pray, Lord, that you will lead us and guide us into green pastures by still waters, that you will restore our souls. Lord, we ask that you would cleanse our, heart, cleanse our hearts, cleanse us from sin and from all that would take us away from you. We ask that you would forgive us and wash us anew, that we may have full fellowship with you in the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we pray for our church. And Lord, we know that it's difficult not being able to be together, but we thank you for this opportunity to do this electronically. We thank you for our Wednesday night fellowships that we do electronically. And Lord, we, uh, we thank you for that, for what you have given to us. And Lord, we long for the day when we can get back together. And Father, we know that churches in the area are longing for the same thing. And uh, we think of the church Abram Creek, Lord, we ask that you would bless them in a special way, that you would keep them unified even during these times, that you would bless their pastor and bless their people, strengthen them, cause them to grow, and cause them to bear fruit for your glory and honor. Lord, we know that these are hard times all around the world, so we ask that your church would be mighty and strong and empowered by your spirit, that we would be a light in the world and salt that we, we would lead people to faith in Jesus Christ, 
that souls would be one for your sake before it's too late. So, Lord, make us ambassadors for Christ. We know that we are. We were called to that position. We ask that you would help us to do that better, that we would glorify the name of Jesus and live lives holy and obedient to your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in 1992, Donna and I and several of the other leaders here at church gathered up about two dozen kids, and we went on retreat. We packed them into the car, we took a van, we took all of our gear and tents and food and all this, and we drove down 71 to Route 18 to a place behind a business called Bennett's. And Bennett's had a nice piece of property in back. It had a pond, had a lot of acreage, no facilities. And back then, we didn't even have cell phones, no radios, so it was really roughing it. No even running water. So we had to rent a porta potty and put it back there. But the price is right, it was free, and we had a great time. So we got down there Friday evening, and we uh, unloaded and we set up our tents, we cooked some treats, we had a campfire, and went to bed. Well, the next day, Saturday, we got up, we did our normal activities, had breakfast, and, and did uh, all the fun things we usually do on retreat. But about the middle of the afternoon, it looked like it was going to start raining. But we didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it because we were having such a good time. But all of a sudden, a car came ripping around the building and, and stopped right in front of us. And Sue and Wayne Malecki, who was Donna's sister, they jumped out of the car and they started yelling and screaming, you got to leave, you got to leave, pack up, there's a tornado coming. Well, we didn't have a cell phone, obviously. They couldn't call us to warn us, so they drove in their car to, to get us to escape from this uh, oncoming storm. So we yelled for all the kids, we whistled, and we, we got uh, everyone to uh, tear down their temps, tents, and we loaded them into the car. It took us about 10 or 15 minutes, and the, it started pouring. We got drenched. So we finally got into the cars and made it onto 18 and up 71, and then the full fury of this storm hit. And I couldn't even see out the windshield of the van. The, the wipers were on full blast, and there were just sheets of water. And it was like we were surfing on this wave coming up 71. Fortunately, by the, by the grace of God, we made it to, to Old Oak Bible Church. We were able to unpack and, and get everybody in the, in the church. And praise God, we, nobody died. <laughs> and we made it. So, and we didn't even lose anybody. So we spent the next uh, few hours trying to dry out, and we finished our camp inside the church. Well, the next day, the storm had passed, and it was a glorious day. It was a beautiful day. But we didn't, there was one tent left on there, and this was Jerry's tent. Jerry was Donna's brother. It was one of those big old canvas tents with aluminum poles and stuff. Well, we went down to get it, and we couldn't believe our eyes. The tent was totally destroyed. It was like it was crushed. And that was the power of this storm. It just totally decimated whatever was left there. So we were very fortunate that we had escaped the coming storm. And uh, I'm glad that we're here today to tell you about it. <laughs> well, this morning, we're going to be looking at another storm, a violent thunderstorm that must have been so awesome and so powerful and so terrifying that it caused David to worship God and then to write about it in Psalm 29. Now, Psalm 29, we're going to look at it this morning. It's different than the other Psalms we've been studying up to now. It's pure praise. 
It's simply, it's a hymn, a song of praise. And there aren't any first-person pronouns like I or we. We don't read any confessions in it. There are no requests or petitions. And there isn't even any expression of thanksgiving. It's simply worship to God. Well, I hope as we study this psalm together this morning that we're going to gain a greater sense for the glorious God we serve and that we'll be drawn into a deeper relationship and a deeper level of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Psalm 29 is written in a classic Hebrew poem format. It's filled with repetition and filled with parallels. And it's like the old poems in the Bible, like the Song of Moses in Exodus 15, the oracles of Balaam in Numbers 23 and 24, or the Song of Deborah in Judges 5. Now, if we picture this like a play, David opens up the psalm with scene one in heaven. Scene two moves from heaven to earth as David describes this terrible thunderstorm sweeping down the entire length of Canaan. And finally, as the thunderstorm recedes in scene three, David transitions from nature in uproar to the people of God in peace. The main point of Psalm 29 could be stated something like this. The Lord God is king over all, and he is worthy to be praised. And I think we could break this psalm down into three main points. Number one, God is over heaven. And we're going to see that in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, God is over nature. And we're going to see that in verses 3 to 9. And finally, God is over the people. And we'll see that in verses 10 and 12. I'm sorry, verses 10 and 11. So let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 29. And we're going to read it together. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord glory, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is God's word. Now before we dig into Psalm 29, verse by verse, skim down through it. And what word do you see that rep repeats time and time again? You're right. It's the word Lord. David reiterates the word Lord 18 times in 11 verses. 
And more than heaven, more than the thunderstorm, more than people, David's focus throughout this psalm is the Lord. And that's what makes this a psalm of praise, a psalm of worship, a hymn to God. Now, in the King James Version and the New King James Version, the word Lord is typed in all capital letters. And this is a way of indicating the special Hebrew name for God, the name Yahweh or Jehovah or I Am. And this is the name of the self-existent God, the eternal God, the God of eternity past, present, and eternity future. And this is the name that God himself used for himself in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses asked, Hey, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. That's Yahweh, Jehovah. Well, this is the very name that Jesus used of himself many times. Like when he discoursed with the Pharisees in John 8, 58. The Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Well, Jesus claimed, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the first and the last. So when David speaks of the Lord, he is speaking of Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, I am, Alpha and Omega, the eternal God, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. So I believe that as we think on this name, the Lord, as we meditate on the awesomeness of God, we too, along with David, will be drawn into a deeper worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now let's enter into scene one, God over heaven. We're going to read verses one and two. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Well, doesn't it seem to you like it's a little bit repetitive? It, the first three lines sound almost the same. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory to his name. Well, these are the parallel phrases that we were talking about earlier. And they are characteristic of Hebrew poetry. And there are many more parallels in the, in the rest of this psalm. Now, we have to ask at this point, who is, a, who is David addressing? Who are the heavenly beings? That's right. They're the angels. David is calling upon the angels in heaven, and he's calling upon them to ascribe to the Lord. Now, I bet none of us here have ever seen a real angel. But you know, the Bible tells us that there are a lot of them. In 
Daniel 7.10, he explains, A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. In Psalm 68, it says, The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. And in Revelation 5.11, listen to this one. It says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's a lot. (laughs) So what does David want these angels to do? Well, first, he's calling them to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe means to attribute. To attribute glory and strength to the Lord. To attribute glory to the Lord to his name. So David is calling upon the angels to praise the Lord for his magnificence, his splendor, his beauty, his majesty, his wonder, his grandeur, and brilliance. All glory belongs to the Lord. And I think the angels would sound something like this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. The angels and saints in heaven here are ascribing to the Lord strength or power by proclaiming that God is almighty and that God reigns. In Isaiah, angels are ascribing glory to the Lord. In Isaiah 6.3, it says, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the angels here are ascribing glory to the Lord. How about in Revelation? Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So is anyone or anything more worthy to receive glory and honor and power than the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Secondly, David calls upon the angels to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now, worship in its basic form means to bow down in reverence. It's an act of the will. It's really a desire of the pure heart. The splendor of holiness is really the Lord's holiness, the splendor of his holiness. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. There is nothing more beautiful, nothing more glorious, nothing more lovely than the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we, as we ascribe to the Lord glory and strength and glory to his name, I think our hearts will bow down to him in worship. So the question is, why would David call on the angels to worship God anyway? Isn't this what they do already? 
Well, James Montgomery Boyce says this. Why does David call on angels then? As soon as we think of this poetically, the reason is obvious. It is because he feels that his, his praise and that of other mere human beings is not adequate. David is overwhelmed with the majesty of God revealed in the storm that he has witnessed and is now going to describe. He feels that he needs help to praise God properly. To praise God adequately, the entire created order must join in, and even then, sufficient praise will be lacking. So we, along with the angels and everything else that has life and breath, are called to ascribe glory and strength to the Lord, for he is worthy. He is the eternal one, the great I am, Jesus Christ, Savior, Redeemer, Creator of heaven and earth, Almighty God. We were created to glorify God. This is the very reason why we were created in the first place. To glorify God who is over heaven and who is over every created being. In scene two, David moves from heaven to earth to describe a terrible thunderstorm. And this scene is called God over nature. So let's read verses three to nine again. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. Have you ever been in your bed at night, maybe two or three in the morning, and you're lying there awake, and you see a slight flash? And shortly after that, you hear a quiet rumble of thunder. Then the next flash gets a little bit brighter. And that thunder gets a little bit quicker and a little bit louder. And then you start hearing the wind. And you start hearing the rain beating against your window. And then the flash gets brighter and the thunder gets louder. And pretty soon it sounds like it's right over your house. And you hear this huge sonic boom. Boom! And your house shakes and the windows rattle. And again and again and again. Sounds so loud. And I... My mom told me that it was just the sound of angels up in heaven bowling. Well, it's not that. It's the sound of the voice of the Lord. And men, I think if we were truly honest, when we experience a storm like that, that powerful, I think it makes us nervous. We won't even admit it, but I think it makes us almost a little frightful. And for me, a storm like that makes me want to seek to be under the wing of the Lord. Well, I think Psalm 29 had the same effect on David. It was such a powerful storm. With Psalm 29 being Hebrew poetry, with its repetition and phrases, parallel phrases, we can't help but notice 
its chief feature in verses 3 to 9. That's the voice of the Lord. This phrase is repeated seven times. So I think David is painting for us pictures of this terrifying storm, portraying that God is over nature. Verse 3 again. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So verses 3 and 4 seem to picture this storm out in the Mediterranean Sea, building up, gaining strength, darkening clouds, lightning, and rolling thunder. Have you ever seen one of those on Lake Erie? You see the black clouds and the lightning flash, and it gets closer and closer. Well, when you think of the voice of the Lord over the waters, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? For me, it's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The voice of the Lord over the waters was so powerful that God used his voice to speak the world into existence. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is creator God. When I think of the Lord over the waters, I remember one of my favorite Bible stories that comes from John chapter 6. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and they got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. God is over nature. We can see why David was so awestruck by the power of the voice of the Lord as it thundered over the waters. Now verses 5 and 7, 5 to 7, seem to portray this monster storm full of fury making landfall in the far north and then moving down Lebanon all the way to the south with its roaring thunder so strong that it shakes the ground and rips the trees out, snapping them like twigs. You see the parallel verses again? The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Parallel verses, repetition. Hebrew poetry. Now, in the ancient Mediterranean world, the great cedars of Lebanon symbolize strength. These trees are strong and firmly rooted, and they can grow to heights of 120 feet with a girth of 30 to 40 feet around. And yet, these great cedars are like nothing in the face of this storm and the voice of the Lord. 
they snap off like twigs. The thunder is so fierce that it even makes the mountain tremble. Sirion, by the way, is an ancient name for Mount Hermon in Lebanon. And Sirion was trembling, was shaking like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes bolts of lightning like flames of fire. Sounds pretty real, doesn't it? Well, how terrifying does the voice of the Lord sound in Revelation 16? Listen to this one. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there never had been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Well, I think we can see why David was so moved by the power of the storm he witnessed. Verses 8 and 9 seem to depict this terrifying storm as it finally passes over the southern desert of Kadesh and then out into the wilderness, leaving destruction in its wake. It says, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. Now, the powerful voice of the Lord shakes Kadesh in the south. Kadesh is where Moses and the Israelites had spent some time during the wilderness journey. The storm is so powerful that it strips the forest bare, like, kind of like the aftermath of the volcanic eruption at Mount St. Helen. Did you see those pictures? Thousands of acres of trees just blown over like pickup sticks. Isn't it strange here how David interjects how the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth? I guess it's been said that deer have difficulties birthing their fawn. And perhaps the terror, the noise of the voice of the Lord, the thunder, caused the deer to be so afraid that the, deer, the fawn just popped out. Boom! <laughs> However, some versions of the Bible translate this a little differently. Instead of makes the deer give birth, the RSV says, twist the oaks. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. This may make a little more sense in the context, but there is some debate about it. So now, what are the people doing who have witnessed this storm? They're in the temple at Jerusalem, praising God and shouting, glory. Now, perhaps they're in the temple while the storm is still raging, and the display of God's power is so awesome that they all cry, glory. Or perhaps... They're so frightened from the storm that they sought safety in the nearest tornado shelter. And in fear, they're shouting glory. Or perhaps this takes place after the storm has passed. And the people are so grateful to have survived this storm that they all shout glory. Some commentators think that this is the temple in heaven. And it's the angels who are crying glory at the power of God. And this could make sense also 
considering David was soliciting praise from the angels in the very beginning of Psalm 29. But either way, the response is the same, glory. We need to remember here that while David is describing the majesty of God revealed in the storm, he's mainly concerned with the power of God's voice. And it's not just thunder. The thunder is a poetic image. The voice of the Lord is the greatest power in the universe. The thunder is simply a metaphor. It's a metaphor for a reality. The reality is God's voice. The power of God's voice is infinitely beyond the thunder that David heard. The voice of the Lord is the greatest power in the universe. It is the word of God. The word of God is eternal, for God is eternal. The voice of the Lord spoke creation into existence. The voice of the Lord speaks from the printed pages of the Bible. The voice of the Lord can be gentle, softening the hardest hearts, wooing sinners to faith in Christ by grace of God. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and the voice of the Lord speaks in the storm. God is in control. The Lord is over nature. Finally, let's, let's take a look at scene three, God over the people. In the final two verses, the storm has passed, yet God remains on the throne as king of the universe. And he seems as peaceful, as, as in control as he always has been. Verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned of the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people and may the Lord bless his people with peace. The ESV says the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. And this could give us the picture of a normal aftermath of a massive storm, flooding, kind of like the one yesterday, the flooding in our streets and in our basements. But the King James Version and the New King James uses the past tense. It says the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and they capitalize F for flood. And that gives us a whole different picture. The Hebrew word for flood used here is only found in one other place, Genesis 6 through 9, the flood. So when David used this particular word for flood, he wanted everyone to remember the flood story in Genesis when God judged the world. David wanted everyone to be reminded of that great judgment and thus to be warned of the potential judgment of the voice of the Lord in this psalm. David is saying something like this. The Lord sat enthroned over the Genesis flood. The Lord continues to be enthroned over this flood. And the Lord will be enthroned forever. The Lord is king. So this last stanza speaks of the voice of God in judgment. It's telling us that a final storm of judgment is coming, and it warns people to get ready, using the thunderstorm as a powerful image. The only ones who are going to be ready for that judgment are God's people, to whom the Lord gives strength and blesses with peace. 
The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. God is over the people. To bring all this to a conclusion, David has used the image of a terrifying storm to bring glory and honor to the great I am. He starts his poem in heaven. He brings it to earth and follows the storm. And then out it goes into the wilderness. But David's primary focus is the voice of the Lord. It is so powerful that it causes him to worship God Almighty. The storm is a metaphor. It's life. As the Lord is in the midst of this storm, the Lord is in the midst of all life. He is life. And like Jesus walking on the water, through the fierce winds and the waves, he beckoned Peter to come. And when Peter faltered, the Lord rescued him. We're all in a storm right now. Each and every one of us has a storm in our own life that we're walking through. Some are in a storm of health, sickness, disease, broken bones, cancer, aging. But Jesus is in the midst of that storm. He's holding our hand. He's keeping us from drowning. Some are in the storm in their homes, bad marriages, divorce, troubled kids, financial struggles. But Jesus is in the midst of that storm. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and he's there to guide us through. Some are in the storm of loneliness, lost loved ones, alone, single, divorced. But Jesus is there, and his voice is calling out comfort. We're all in this storm called COVID-19. Some are sick with the virus. Some have lost loved ones. Many are out of work with no end in sight. Our country, our world has been turned upside down, and it seems to be at the brink of collapse. But God is in the midst of it. He is right here, leading, guiding, taking care of us. God is in control. Christian, whatever storm you're in, know this. Jesus is there, and he will get you through it because the voice of the Lord is powerful. The greatest storm of all happened 2,000 years ago, and no one in the history of this planet has ever faced a storm like this one, like the one Jesus faced. Jesus, Jesus battled all the demons of hell, all the forces of hell, and he suffered the greatest brutality of men against any man. And he carried the weight of the sins of the world upon his shoulders. And he did it alone. He was despised and rejected by men. And even the Father turned his face away. Jesus bore our sins. Out of love for us, he carried our sin so that we would not have to bear them ever. And when the price was paid in full, when the victory was won there on Calvary, the greatest words ever spoken resounded with the powerful voice of the Lord 
And when he said, it is finished. So Christian, take heart. The Lord knows your struggles. He knows your battles. And he's with you right now. And someday, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we shall behold him in all of his glory. And it will be worth it all. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, why not? Don't you know how much Jesus loves you? Maybe you think, well, it's not the right time. I'll do it tomorrow. But friend, tomorrow may not come for you. Someday, you will stand before the great, awesome, powerful, righteous, holy Lord, and you will see him face to face. And he either will tell you, welcome, or go away. I never knew you. So friend, ask Jesus Christ into your heart and do it today. Don't wait. Don't put it off any longer. If you'd only confess your sin and turn away from your sin, if you'd only believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead, if you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, your sins will be gone and you'll be saved forever. Won't you do that today? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, your word is so awesome. The voice of the Lord is so awesome. Even the still, small whisper of the Lord, your word is awesome. Your Bible is awesome. It is your word. It is truth. Lord, we thank you for men like David who penned your word on the pages so that we would have it. Lord, it is a gift from you that we would know you, that we would come to you in faith, that we would be saved from our sin. And Lord, we thank you. Mighty God, we worship you. You are holy, you are righteous, you are just, you are pure, and, a, and you are merciful. And Lord God, we praise your holy name. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.